Hello and welcome to the I Am Vinyl podcast. My name is Pete, and I'd like to thank you all for tuning in here at cnjradio.com. And for today's episode, I have a discussion that I recorded back on November 21st, 2018 with Jerry Farley. Now, Jerry and I go back a long way, and at this point of recording, we've known each other for 25 years. He's worked on numerous music projects that I've been involved in. Most notably, he's worked on the two Spacebeard records, Listening and Gone, which, a little cheap plug here, I encourage everybody to check out the Spacebeard records on Spotify. But that's not what this episode is about. So this episode is about a record that Jerry recently produced, engineered, and had much of a hand in the early recording process of. And it's the reason why you're listening today. And it's for Sick of It All's Wake the Sleeping Dragon. This was a very interesting and fun discussion that we had. And as I mentioned, it was recorded back in November of 2018. And this was when the I Am Vinyl podcast was originally slated to begin around that point in November or December 2018, which in the first episode I went into exactly why that didn't happen. So anyway, without further ado, let's get to the discussion with... Jerry? Hello and welcome to the I Am Vinyl podcast. My name is Pete. I'd like to thank you for tuning in at cnjradio.com. And at the end of our first episode, we had mentioned that we would be venturing into different avenues of music. And with this second episode today, uh, I've been given the privilege of basically having a solo episode here as I happen to have a guest. This guest is a friend of mine for well over 20 years at this point. Uh, it is actually 24 years to this point. Uh, he has currently produced the latest album by one of our all-time favorite bands, a hugely influential band to both of us over the years, and which I am very proud to have him as a guest, as he has the privilege to have produced the latest album by Sick of It All. So my guest today is the Jerry Farley. <laughs> Jerry? Welcome, Jerry. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for uh, thank you for being here. And um, so, if you want to tell us what you've brought with you today, well, basically, um, the vinyl we're going to be listening to and taking a peek at um, is the new "Sick of It All: Wake the Sleeping Dragon" out on Century Media and Fat Records. It's a dual release. Um, I received my Fat Rec vinyl just the other day, and I didn't open it up. You know, so we could have our own reveal on this show. And um, I'm excited because I helped, you know, produce the record. I engineered it. Uh, it was mixed and mastered by Two Madsen. Uh, he's known for work with bands like Mashuga, um, Baby Metal, Queensryche. No, not Queensryche. He did Mad Balls' latest record. Uh, you know, he has just an extensive. Judas Priest, you know, um, but between working with Two Madsen and Sick of It All, I am very excited to listen to this album on vinyl for the first time. Okay, and well, speaking of listening to the albums and just albums in general, uh, I think there's one thing we're going to have a theme with this show is uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about, especially between Joey and I and any guests we may happen to have, we would want to talk about our first record store experiences any 
uh, first recollections that you may recall mm. from uh, yeah. from that point where uh, you realized that music may eventually be your life, or you were gonna be a like me, like a diehard music collector. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know what? Like my personal experience with vinyl is uh, it's always been in my life. Um, like even like sitting here in in Pete's apartment. It looks a lot like what I grew up with, um, where it's like, I feel like you have two sets of like families. You either have one that has like extensive bookshelves with books, you know, if they, if they collect anything to do with, you know, collectibles, it's either bookshelves, um, or vinyl when you're growing up in like the seventies and eighties. So, uh, my dad had an extensive vinyl collection, which he still has to this day. So I, they go back to, as far as I remember, like, you know, looking at the cover of Genesis albums, Queen albums, Devo albums, Pat Benatar, you know, Led Zeppelin records. Like, I, you know, there were just so many for me to stare at before even really even kind of connecting even with the music. Um, but my first, like, stepping into a record store aspect, I feel like I don't even remember that because it was mm. just, it was just something that, Oh, now I'm going to go buy an album. Right. Like when my dad gave me my first vinyl, um, that was a different story. He gave me, I already bought, you know, bands, heavy bands, Metallica, things like that. Um, and he handed me a Black Sabbath's first vinyl. And he said, okay. when I first got this, I put it on for the first time and your grandfather heard it, came in the room as soon as he heard the Satan's come around the band, you know, he he came into our room, took the vinyl and broke it over his knee, <laughs> the Irish Catholic that he was in Brooklyn. And he's like, right there, I knew I was going to love this band. So like, you know, and so, and he gave it to me and I put it on and like my first listen, and I'm sure I had heard it in the house before or, but my first listen to that opening with the bell and the, and the, yeah. and the crackle of the vinyl and everything to me like I was I was kind of sold on like not only like already having had the vinyl experience but the history behind the metal and the punk and the hardcore and all the things that I would actually become very definitive not only in my life but who I you know I'm as a person okay do you actually would you remember the first vinyl record that you bought with your own money well that's a terrific question what is the first vinyl that I ever bought myself? It's so strange because I'm picturing my collection, but my collection initially was um, was my my dad's doubles. Honestly, he had like doubles of him or something that was open or something that he you know works sanitation. So some people would just throw away the vinyl. He'd come home and you know, and I'd go through the village and go to Generation Records or, or go to people you know on the corner who had, and I would just buy vinyl constantly and I I can't even remember my first 7 inch either like it's so strange it's like I feel like I should know that but I don't I just pictured the entire collection as like one thing so weird well (laughs) well it's actually it's it's funny because I I have sort of a similar story that I talked about on the first episode where all my first records were were hand-me-downs yeah so I inherited all my brother my older brother's kiss records uh, and two or three of my cousins Kiss records because by 80, 81, Kiss were not popular, not cool. And, you know, they were teenagers or 
getting close to it at that point. So, uh, yeah, so I, I inherited a lot of those records, and I didn't end up buying my first record until around 84, which was Twisted Sisters, Stay Hungry. The funny thing is, I do remember when I was finally given the responsibility of putting a record on, um, being shown it, because I'm mean, growing up with it, like when a, when a record went on, like there was no more jumping. Like me and my brother, right. <laughs> were, you know, young, you know, he was like two, three years old. I'm like six years old. And you wanted like wrestle or jump, you know, when you have a little brother and the, and, and as soon as the vinyl went on, it was like, it was like a cake in the oven. I don't know. I, th- I feel like cakes in the oven don't, <laughs> souffles really, they flatten. But I think that's something that, that parents just said back then. They're like, there's a cake in the oven. You're like, oh, I won't get any cake if I jump. And I feel like vinyl was a kind of a similar thing. It was like, the vinyl's on now. You know, we don't want it to skip and scratch and, and it's, you know, it's true to an extent, but like, it was such a delicate thing. Yeah, you know we had such. We had it similar in, in our house too. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was the same way with our father. He was very, everything, it was very delicate. He couldn't touch any of the vinyl. That, that was a definite no-no. And, you know, and if he, he, if he saw any fingerprints, he would be asking who did it. Yeah. And as soon as I started like getting into like things like License Hill by the Beastie Boys and like any type of rap scenario my dad immediately had a serious talk sit down with me like do not scratch with my vinyls do not go backwards on the needle like he was so adamant i was like okay i gotta do like i'll close this part of the segment with do you remember the, the first vinyl record that that you really really got attached to that was on your turntable constantly oh yeah what would that be Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> like, like like many people. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I remember it's like, it, of course, the first time I ever smoked weed. Okay, I, I was going to ask because that's what I was going to go. I was like, was this like teenage? Oh, or? no, no. It, it's so funny. I came down to breakfast that, that next morning and I sat down. My parents looked at me and they were like, Dark Side of the Moon, huh? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Because I, I, I had left it out, you know? I clearly went to sleep. I had left it out. I had left the headphones out. It might have still been spinning. The, the tuner may have been on. The light, you know, the tubes were still hot. Who knows what it is? Just caught out there. But they just looked at me and they were like, dark side of the moon. And they knew. They just knew right off the bat. And it's it just etched in my brain yeah, I mean, as to, um, you know, like, like, like I came home and that was my go-to. Like, I didn't smoke at home. I, I was at... I, I played a show at the Rock Palace in Staten Island, and like, and I came home, and that was my, and I like, I got immersed in it, you know, and um, so that's like my first, like, I feel like, mainly because I was probably thought I was in trouble, but my parents, obviously, if it was their version of Dark Side of the Moon, you know what I mean, like, it was like, oh, okay, (laughs) he's graduating to his teenage years, you know, so to me that was, um, that was a big deal. You know, that, that, that was a, especially the sounds on it, just, just the certain aspects of it, the, 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 from the cover to just the, the, the actual content, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just, it was a remarkable thing to immerse myself in that experience, you know? Yeah. Well, I think your dad and my dad were, were pretty similar in, in the, in the music aspect. And I, I had the same sort of, again, sort of similar experience to you where my father got me into Pink Floyd just from the uh, just from taking me to Record Factory when he went to buy mm-hmm. his, his copy of The Wall and I saw the inside of the album cover as he was opening it and I saw the labels on the record and bear in mind I was like three, four years old 
How I still remember any of this, I don't even know. But it's 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 so vivid in my mind going into the store, yeah. seeing the records on. If you remember the record factory, the old record factory would had the wall of records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know where you had to literally probably get something. Get a ladder or something Which to climb up and get. So whose idea was that? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was a silly idea in retrospect, but uh, you know who knows? Maybe it was to prevent prevent thievery. I, I yeah, don't right. know. But uh, the interesting thing is, is like you said, it's really etched in my brain. My house, like I'm not even like kidding it, because Pete's been over my house in the past two decades multiple times, multiple times, um, to play music and stuff like that. But Record, my house mix. was known on my block and neighborhood that like. I could come home from school and I would hear my house from down the block because my dad would just be like blasting the who. Like I grew up with the who on Saturday morning, like waking up. What was the album? You know, know? pinball wizard is like, you know, it's gotta be a trick. You know, I, I, I was not allowed when I was a kid and not like a mean way but like now I was a kid my dad be sitting on his record he'd be like what drum solo is that and I'd have to like name the drum solo by Neil Peart you know <laughs> and the, quiz? yeah a quiz before I go outside my dad's like you know he's like oh what I was like oh cause I know cause of the wood blocks you know what I mean like or whatever he you know whatever scenario it was you know um people knew that and even growing up into my teens like you know Fran loves to tell people the story about coming into my house to to kind of play music upstairs, and my dad was just like in front of the stereo on his knees with his arms outstretched, <laughs> just like blasting like the Who or something. And he was like, "Friend was like, this guy gets it, yeah, <laughs> you know." And and just you know, it's just it's amazing how like that is just normal to me. You know, it's very normal. So in the studio, even though I don't really listen to a lot of stuff loud because I. I Spend so much time hearing stuff. Right, right. You know, it's just like, it's so part of my life that it's like, it, to me, I feel like it has a natural connection as to why I went into the career I did because I did really just sit there and analyze it. Like, if, if I was at home, there was nowhere to go but analyze this stuff, you know right. what I mean? And some of it spoke to me, some of it didn't, you know, some of it's kind of goofy in retrospect to me. I can appreciate Rush, don't like the vocals, <laughs> you know, but. You share a sentiment of many people. Uh, yeah. In terms of Russia and the vocals, I do understand it, uh, even as a fan as I am. I mean, you see, I have a, a crate of Rush records, yeah, exactly, independent of itself, because I have too many to put within my collection right now. So, but uh, I, I could definitely understand that. Yeah, you know, so it all connects. <laughs> all right, so should we get into this record and uh, yeah, open it up? We're gonna actually take a look and see which of the various color variations. That Jerry received. Yeah, I don't see any sticker on it or anything. Yeah, mine um, didn't. Mine didn't have one either. I, I ended up getting the standard black version, and it had no sticker. And I was asking around if anybody could tell me, and nobody had a word to say. Yeah. So <laughs> I have to say, the first thing about this record before you know, did, should I get into the actual outside sure. first? Sure. You know, I mean, before even opening it, like I'm so proud of the actual album cover, um, not because I did it or anything you know what i mean <laughs> but because ernie parada of of token entry and gray area like amidst so many other bands of bands um he designed this incredible like movie poster it's like it has the sick of it all dragon climbing the empire state building and like fighting like helicopters like as if it's like a 19 like 50s 60s you know like sci-fi you know Attack of the Monsters type 
scenario like King Kong Godzilla and they use this like this font that to me is very um like shocking watch out see the terrors you know and, and the wake the sleeping dragon for the album title uh it just reminds me kind of of like a, a Bruce Lee type scenario with the dragon and the the way that it, it just it just looks and and um you know it, they also they put the the album credits on the front so like the band members and even the special guests of like um Tim from Rise Against and Chuck from Hot Water Music and they even put my name on as producer and recorded on the front of the album. That like never happened. Extreme rarity. Yeah, like like Jane Ackley said it like, yeah. like it's like you don't get that. So even in the digital format when this shows up, mm-hmm. it's gonna like end up on someone's like phone or on the screen of their car and and you know, it says mixed and mastered to Madsen and Ernie's little signature and it's just such a and I think that that matters with what the vinyl looks like because the colors on it, the the oranges and the red and the it's just very very movie poster. Even with the fold, you, like you see that fold, like as if it was a CD poster. Yeah, I do see that. Like I love that that that's in in it's the ingrained, design. It's ingrained in the design. You know, and then made to look almost like almost vintage. Yeah, and that back is very very kind of traditional old vinyl. Yeah, like, just with the tracks. Yeah, just no, the no. tracks in the same kind of font sliding in. And the classic Sick of It All Dragon logo in red on the back. Yeah, yeah, the classic one. The actual, you know, as you see the interpretation on the front, you know. But uh, we'll get into what this, why it's called a title later when we get to that title track, hopefully. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, let's rip this open. <laughs> all right, all right. And you're going to give it a little bath? Yeah. Give it yeah, a little we'll, bath? We'll, we'll clean it up. Uh, you don't even care about the cellophane. He is just Ripping the cellophane right off. Yeah, because I'm gonna this have is like blasphemy to me. I'm gonna have multiple <laughs> copies. This is gonna be my my listening copy, you know. I got gotcha. you. I hear you there. Because I want to see. Like I love like seeing like what the gloss is kind of like, and the ink. Let's see what we got. Oh, the lyric sheet, old school lyric sheet. Love it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the independent lyric sheet and the vinyl being in its own sleeve. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a white sleeve. Mine's white a black sleeve. sleeve. Yours was, I saw that in the picture, the so black that, that, sleeve. That may be how they were differentiating the color versus the uh, black. Oh, look at that. Wow. He got a, you know, it's got like a multicolor splatter, yellow, red, black. Yeah, it's like a lot of reds and green. Wow. It's like it's like no, it's not a splatter. It's more like a swirl. Yeah, it's like a but it's it's predominantly black. Yeah, and then it, wow, that looks cool. The edge. Well, you look at that edge right over here. Yeah, that gets <laughs> like a strawberry. It looks like this little strawberry patch on on both sides. Wow, look at that. It's cool. I love it. All right, commence cleaning. Oh, and this and this lyric sheet. Um. Wow, so cool. It's like. They printed out all the lyrics, which I I still that's like the most important thing to me in like a vinyl. It's like give me the lyrics, man. I want to read along. I agree. Like, I need that. Like I, I don't... find it funny when current records don't actually come with any liners. Yeah, just you open it up and there's a picture and there's liners and you're like, uh, yeah, okay. And it's, it's like great. There's a digital download. Maybe I can find it online. But I really would like to just read along and have that immersive kind of experience. And, um, yeah, who, I know Busk helped with doing the design. Let's see. Busk? Busk. <laughs> yeah, the, the the composite was by Michelle Keeler and Jonathan Busk. Yeah, you know Busk from, um, uh, Maximum Penalty. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, so 
I might have met him at one point. It's like everyone who's worked on this record is like in the hardcore punk world, of course, you know? And it's just, it's like an honor for me to even be allowed to work with Sick of It All as like a producer and engineer because I've listened to them since I'm like 14, 15 when I first started buying like vinyls myself. Yeah, as we mentioned, our friend uh, Fran, he got me into Sick of It All around the 92-ish era. So that mm-hmm. was Just Look Around. Just Look Around was the first Sick of me All too. record I ever bought. Just Just Look Around. And it's funny because like there were points in this record where I referenced it. I was like, I want to hear Just Look Around because sometimes to me, like that, you, yeah, you get into it, right? You hear it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's like that album, I was like, whoa, I haven't heard anything like this. I haven't heard a band like this. Okay. Yeah, it was absolutely somewhat of a. I guess I would say um, it was. It, it was. It was different. It was, it was certainly striking for me to hear them at, at first. Yeah, it was a cassette for me, and I heard it. Yeah, I heard the cassette at first too. Yeah, I got it at a record factory. Listened to it in, in like the rectory with Joanne. Work was terrible. Yeah. Terrible place to listen to it. Yeah, but I, it, I remember. Yeah, I remember hearing Franz cassette, and then I eventually got around to getting the CD at Zigzag, and yeah. it was just like. That was exactly. it was on repeat for for weeks and and that was it it just took off from there and then years later they would really scratch the surface and that's that's currently mm. that's currently my favorite sick of it all record of all time yeah you know what scratch the surface was when I was in college they asked me to bring in uh, my professor said oh bring in a um, example of a great bass sound and I brought that in. And he was like, this Please. is the exact opposite of a great bass sound. I was like, no, it's not. It fits the band. The actual way that it interacts, like another aggressive guitar, but holds down this low end. And um, it, later on, a few years later, he actually would join a hardcore band. And he came back to me and was like, you were totally right about that bass sound. What a <laughs> terrific bass sound. I was like, right, dun, 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 bomb. It sounds like this big metal, like rubber band. It's amazing. And then when I had to like all of a sudden get the bass sound for the first time, like with Craig, yeah, I was be, like, "Oh man, that had to be a here's the in- pressure." Had, yeah, I was gonna say that had to be a little intimidating, uh, you know, just just in general, you got to work with those guys, and you you know, you remember back to being a, a teenager, just being a kid listening to their music and going to school. No, they and, they just now you're working with them and actually having to put out and help them put out new music. They're such amazing, humble musicians that the guys. It comes the, off that way. The they guys that sing of it all. There's like. There isn't that pressure. They know they'll talk to you, and like yeah. they, they say always say to me, and they say in interviews, you 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 get us, you 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 know us, you know the music, we can trust you with it. And so like when I get when I got the bass sounds, like to me it's I've been practicing for that, you know, by every band that I've that I've wanted to have that kind of edge, but their own kind of sound, you know. I've already been doing it, so I was like, let's try it, and you know, and I'm very adamant about using red. That bass guitar is. I was gonna get into that at some big point. Part of that the, was gonna the, be the one of the questions. Yeah, but, you know, I'll get in, I'll get into it. Okay. We'll get into that. Okay. So all right. So should we get into the album then now? Yes, sir. All right. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna listen to two tracks at a time, and then come back and have a little discussion about the tracks. And Jerry will get into some notes and details that he'll recall from recording this record. Jerry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's get into it.
Okay, so we just listened to the first two tracks, Inner Vision and that crazy white boy shit. Hmm. What'd you think? Well, for Inner Vision, my, in my notes, I just put immediately, it's just one of those classic strong openers from Sick of It All that we're accustomed to expecting from their records. Mm. And uh, as, I, as I noted too, the added, ooh! Brother Go, the Queen style? <laughs> yeah. Go! That's Craig. That's Craig doing that. Great. So, any um, any notes or any anything you can uh, recall in terms of the recording and um, creation? Well, yeah. I mean, first thing I love about these two opening tracks is um, one is that Intervision is like such a punch in the face, like right out of the gate, and I love the um, the kind of monster. St- like almost warriors type classic 70s sci-fi sound that opens up yeah and then um you know we're trying to do on each song a little something different on this record um just you know kind of break that mold of hardcore um being like oh this song and this song this song you know with one standard mix so there's that cool distortion kind of on lose vocals which i think add an extra and there's those extra like um, repeats that le- overlay the stops and I think it's cool and then it comes to a really great breakdown and, and the message of the song is just incredible you know it's about all the chaos that we're you know <laughs> going to talk about on this record right um, about really finding <clears throat> peace and solace and in, in within yourself and quieting yourself to find the answers to dealing with whatever it is that you're dealing with and um, I just love the overall not only attitude but just this you know the sounds in this record really just show up on that first song, and um, and then crazy white boy shit. It's it's interesting because even us reminiscing at the beginning of the show about you know the effect of music and you know and friends and, and family and things. It's actually what the song is mainly about. It's you know the the lyrics about um, got that cassette from a bud named Foil shits. Like, I don't personally know foil shits, but right. everyone knows a foil shits. You know what I mean? Someone who's like, like you said, Fran gave you the tape. Like, right. uh, of, you know, and so you're like, oh, wow. You know, so they're looking for who plays it best and and um, they find the Bad Brains. And this is the, uh, you know, an ode to the Bad Brains and not in the style like they're trying to do a Bad brain song, but like. this little nods. Yeah, like check it out to, you know, this is these crazy guys and. The nods are like, you know, the, ooh, ooh. you know, like, you know, it's, it's so. With the, with the delay, with the big. Yeah, the big reverb, like cavernous. Oh, and I loved it, and, and it was it was so fun having the gang vocals at at Nova Studio where we like recorded the album. Everyone was like blown away and excited about the song. Like Ernie was running around being like, "Guys, this is fucking cool!" And he was like, "Woo!" And everyone like got excited to do that because you know everyone may have always wanted to maybe do that. You know, like it's possible. And so like, like even like me, I snuck in like a little pre pro of me like and Lou in my my um in my workroom just you know doing that for the pre-pro like whoo I was like oh it came out so good I, like, and I put it on there and it went you know it went in the mix and it's cool because like and, the, and then the end of the song it has like this transition part where it gets very um like we're mentioning reggae and dub and, and this stuff and and you know I, I, I was like yo let's let's go for it let's throw some you know triplet dub style you know delays in there you know and everyone's like really they're like okay let's try it let's try it and and like you know two went through that in the mix and he nailed it 
the exact kind of idea that I, I wanted to hear. And, and we all just were on the same page with like, you know, not just saying, oh, let's try new things. Like we got down to it and we're like, let's try new things. And that's one of the things I noted was the extremely rare use of vocal delay on Lou's voice. Yeah. Uh, and it's I like, I don't recall any, any, any instance on a sick of it all record. I might've forgotten, but I, but especially that prominent where it's yeah. like, it becomes its, it's own like instrument. That. Yeah. And I think it's cool for that, for that ending, which is like, um, you know, it, it in itself is a, is a different kind of ending. Sure. It's a breakdown type scenario, but it's like, it's, it's such a different style kind of guitar riff, you mm -hmm. know? So to me, it's just, I'm, I'm very proud of that overall because it, it has like, kind of like the, you know, Hardcore can can get you know pigeonholed, but and from people outside of the genre, be like, oh, we you know it, it, it. Oh, here comes this, and like you expect yeah. certain things out of it, and in, including the title, "Crazy White Boy Shit." They think like, oh, it's a bunch of white guys in a room angry. It's like no, it's like mm -hmm. there's a very diverse and eclectic, not only influence but like crowd and uh, you know fans that are around the world, and so like look where it comes from. It comes from these four guys from DC. You know, yeah. who had dreadlocks and, you know, reggae and, and, you know, through, you know, reggae stuff in the middle of their hardcore punk songs, you yeah. know? And so I feel like it's, it's a great uh, way to kind of like break the mold right at the beginning of the record. Okay. With All that right. said, <laughs> let's get into more of the record and we'll go through the next two tracks.
listen to the snake break free and bulls anthem so right off the bat i'll i'll say about the snake break free immediately came to mind that i really really liked the you gotta break out you gotta break free stop start sections mm. and classic sick of it all breakdown to close Mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's that's i think a good reason why it's like up there at number three mm-hmm. is uh you know it's very like yeah. Okay. You know, sort of reminiscent of like the pain strikes in a way. Yeah. It's like, but it, but it's like, yeah. You like, you know, like, okay, like, because this song right after it is, is a little different. You know, is whereas Crazy White Boy is a little different. It's like, here, check it out. Sick of it all song. You know, in a very kind of traditional type mm-hmm. way. Um, but once again, it's kind of like uh, in a vision with um, a really cool message to it. To, to me, it's like when we were doing pre-production, the the, the there was a lot of you know honestly there was a lot of suicides happening you know big artists to people you know just and you know the song is 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 about kind of being in that dark place like you know the snake in your brain is like kind of wiggling around and and you know it's infected and slid into your thought process again and you know you're not alone every lots of people struggle with that you know struggle with you know depression you know um that the dark thinking and you know this it's supposed to be kind of positive in a way of like you're not alone, you know, reach out, break free. That's how the song, you know, ends with it, you know. Um, but there's like, there's a cool part where there's even like a little spoken word Lou in there. If you listen in the chorus, why even try? Like there's like, oh. you know, which actually came from the pre-pro. And originally we were like, oh, we'll sing it. Oh, no. And then Armand's like, no, you got to put that in. And so we did. And, oh, that's, that's you cool. know, it, there's like a little ear candy stuff in there. And um, to me, it's like, it's. Once again, there's like there's some different riffs in there, you know, some like almost like stoner rockish. You know what riffs. I noted too was and just earlier when we were listening is the in, the intro itself. It's slightly this like modern day Anthrax ish kind of intro. Mm, Man, I got pictures Scott Ian doing the Scott Ians on stage with yeah. his fucking goatee. <laughs> well, you gotta ask. I, Pete said like this riff is like is is an old riff, and he's like we always wanted to make it a song. You gotta ask him the story about it, like because he like whoever's listening, go ask him. Like well, you know what's what's the deal with the snake? Like you know like yeah, he he loves it, and um, you know I feel like the riff's been with them for a while, but 
to make it into a song. This was one that like Lou like really like spent some like real time on. And then um the the next the next song, the Bulls anthem. This is such an amazing collaboration, this song. Like it's got Tim from Rise Against singing, it's got Chuck from Hot Water Music singing. Um you've got this gang vocal of people you know, singing this mega bridge section where it's actually like singing and there's like 30 people singing it. All different singers from all different bands in, you know, the tri-state area. It's probably the, probably like one of the most melodic sick of it all songs right? of all time. It's, it's like the most melodicism in a sick of it all song. And, and you hear like Craig like doing all these like different bass line runs throughout the song. You got this cool... Um, lead kind of part like ear candy in the background some that that pete came up with and and like you're you're we're playing with the vocals but like it's like lou singing and then chuck singing and then like tim singing with lou and then only chuck singing and then only tim singing and you know and so it's like it's this big kind of like almost like stage show happening in the song and i'm like shouldn't proud of it. i think it's like really catchy and very anthem you know and it's a song about actually you know animal cruelty you know what i mean the cheering the the bull you know cheering the bull on in 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 the fight saying no like this is wrong <laughs> well better than it being about the basketball team i say <laughs> and I, I did know what i said it, it this one it does live up to its intentions it it, it strives to be an anthem it, it is an anthem mm. and yeah I, well you were mentioning before about the the melodic vocals and the, and the the guitars. That's one thing I noted too. Is there's a there's a just a great there's just a great mix between the guitars with the melodic vocals mm-hmm. during all those sections. Yeah, they're not just fighting. really really well done. You know, it's funny. It's like I was kind of like nervous about this song when I first heard it because I was like, you know, where 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 does this go? Where does it go? And then like as Armand like showed me the different pieces of it it started to like really make sense to me where I was like, this is a really epic song. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when like, w- when we asked Chuck to be a part of it, like I spoke to him on the phone and I, it was like a, like one of those like teenage dreams of mine to be like, Hey, can you give me, you know, fuel for the hate game? Like nineties Chuck. He's like, sure. Jerry's like, and I was like, Oh, cool. You know, like, uh, uh, I was like, cause it, it fits it's like that type of gruff style in that that song it just mm-hmm. it just it fits and then you know and, and and Tim's up there with the harmonies and and doing the scream and the bridge it's just it's just a cool thing to like showcase other people's talents you know next to the guys in sick of it all you know it's what a such a great collaboration right and it just and it just broadens their sound just a little bit more because you know again Jerry and I have been fans of sick of it all for you know, well yeah. over 20 years plus. And they've been a band for well over 33 right. years at this point. Right. And, you know, we've we sort of become accustomed to knowing what to expect from a Sick of It All record. And this this one, you, you kind of can't really predict predict it all the way through. Mm-hmm. It just, uh, just doesn't seem to be that way. But having said that, I know just from my notes and recollection, the next two songs we're going to play... Pretty much is in line with classic Sick of It All, so uh, let's play those songs now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
broken Dodgers. Oh, say, can you see? Oh, can you see? Can you see me? Yes, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky, lucky to be me. So, and on that note, ending those two tracks, we just spun Robert Moses was a racist <laughs> and self-important shithead. Now, the first thing I have to say, the first thing I have to say about Robert Moses was a racist, you have this short spurt, this black flaggish intro, mm. and you just launch right immediately into, um, it's going to be repetitive, but I'm going to say it a lot, it's, you're launching immediately into more classic sick of it all. Mm-hmm. And the theme of both of these songs, right off the bat, too, is it's just pissed off sick of it all, which I always say is never a bad thing. And I have to ask, before you get into the meat of the song and the notes, who is it that says, and he's the reason why we ain't got no Brooklyn Dodges <laughs> at the end of Robert Moses Was a Racist? Put him in the spotlight. That's a Jonathan Eggman Salura, you know, um, longtime buddy of mine who's been in a few bands with me. Uh, he currently plays like guitar in Cover Your Idols punk rock hardcore cover band we do to raise money for um different causes but um egg's just a classic guy you know and he's a stand-up dude and, and just loves hardcore loves loves music loves vinyl and he loves vinyl and it's it's so funny because like when we did the uh robert moses you know if, if you're from new york there's like robert moses stuff like everywhere and if you do a little research on the guy he's the fucking dick like really when it comes down to it mm -hmm. um like, every time I drive out to Long Island on, like, the southern state or northern state, like, if someone's not from New York, I'll tell them, like, oh, these overpasses are super low so that, you know, they couldn't, you know, buses from the inner city couldn't get out to the be beaches um, out Long Island where the rich were, you know? So it kept inner city, lower income minorities out of, you know, the outskirts of uh, Westchester to New York and, and to Long Island. And, and it's so funny because when he heard... When he read the lyrics, when we were singing the gang vocals, Egg just shouts out at the end of it when we hit stop. He goes, he's the reason why we got no Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> like, and, and later on, like, we all cracked up laughing, but it's so funny because it's true. It's, if you look at part of history, you know, but our mom was like, oh, could we use that? Could we have put the Eggman on, on it? And we're like, yeah, it's like, because like on top of him already having all these things um, that he did with designs in New York. You know, um, he also was responsible, partly responsible for that, you know? Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that, that Egg gets his own little spot right there. Um, and it, it's on, on like a Brooklyn note, too. Um, you know, growing up together, all of us in like the 90s, we were all kind of a, like a, 
fans of the Ice Bell. You know what I mean? In our hardcore world, in our '90s I, hardcore. I know a little. I know a little something about the, the use of the right, ice right. Bell. Like uh, you know, when, when I first saw you know Pat Flynn from Indecision using it, I was like, dude, that's great, genius idea. So I kind of was able to like propose that to Armand. You you can hear it in that opening rip that that you were talking about, kind of Black Flag. Yeah. You know, bing, like, and I brought it to him. He's like, I don't know, Jerry. He put it in. He's like, all right, all right, cool. So. You know, and then the song just takes off into, you know, classic references that, um, like, when you were sick of it all, like, like in my experience, there's, you reference by talking in musical terms about, like, talking about artists you love. So, like, we, we just go full Motorhead, like, right there. Like, like Craig would be like, you know, I want it to be very bouncy, very Daryl Babbrins, you know. Right. You know, full Motorhead attitude, you know, but bouncy like Daryl, you know. And, like, you know, not, not MCA in this one, but, the, you mm-hmm. know, and, like... He'll do that. And like this is how we musically kind of communicate. So I feel like that song is like just just like right away punch you in the face. You know? As soon as it takes off. So it follows up with a song that's under a minute long, and that's self important shithead, which I noted again, just continuing the pattern of pissed off, sick of it all in short spurts. And <laughs> I think both of us as users of social media, Facebook and Instagram we obviously can identify with uh, the social media madness. Yeah, and you know it's kind of now that the you know the digital world is here, the internet is here. That 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 kind of social media thing, it's not going away. It it may change form uh, from website to website. You know, we grew up with you know MySpace at the beginning two thousands. Before that, you know AOL chat rooms would come up from a show, and just that now you can see pictures and stuff so much faster. Yeah, and it's kind of an it's kind of a cheeky you know kind of you know, tongue in cheek kind of outlook on, on the, the whole thing from an outside point of view. Cause you know, obviously we all use it as mm-hmm. promotional tools for recording or an album and things like that. But it's kind of funny to like, this is a Pete gem to me. It's like, Pete's just like, look at this. Like, like picture, <laughs> like a thousand pictures of people just making this duck face. You yeah. know what I mean? Like looking at their own, their own face and you know, it's me kissing me. And it's, it's funny. Cause when you look at a selfie, if you make that duck face, it's like your kiss throwing a yeah. kiss. You're blowing a kiss to yourself. It's hysterical narcissism. in a way, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's extreme narcissism. So it's great. It's, it's kind of like you know, it's it's an observation. It's kind of like how the call out culture type observation of Robert Moses, and it's also observation of you know, uh, was a timeless aspect of like you know narcissism. You know, mm-hmm. you self important shithead. <laughs> <laughs> you dick. Don't be a self important shithead, kids. <laughs> Take it from Jerry and sick of it all. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think Pete came up with like some amazing things for that. I-, I just really love how the guys just, you know, I mean, there's so many cool bass lines Craig put around that. Do 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 do. You know, it's just a memorable thing, and like the way Armand stop stops and starts, and you know, Lou's just you know barking it at you, and and people had fun doing the gang vocals. So I feel like, you know. Like the, the the fans are really gonna latch on to that one. Well, who doesn't love yelling "fuck off" and die? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like "fuck off" and die. It's after so, so, a hard day at work, right? <laughs> Being on the fucking trains, I'm sure some of them were dying to say that one. Yeah, it's so it's so old punk rock. It's so you know mohawk running around kicking things over. It's great. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to the next two songs. Yeah. They throw me to the walls. Leading me back to the weight of the world Pushing me down, but I push back 
didn't notice that. Yeah, it ends right there with the little feedback, because then it goes right into the next song on the, on the, the CD. CD. Yeah, I like that. That's how side A ends. And as you just heard, we just ended side A with To the Wolves and Always With Us. So what I had noted immediately about To the Wolves, you get Lou leading off with vocals. Mm. And uh, yeah. I, I don't recall very much of that happening uh, again on, on much of the Sick of It All material. Yeah, he's all out there by himself, you know. It's like, yeah, they threw me. Yeah, the band, everybody you know, comes in. T- tumbles down yeah, the stairs yeah. right after him. It's a, it's a great intro. You got these classic Scratch the Surface era, sick of it all, time changes that pretty much lead to the rest of the song. And something else I noted was this song is absolutely going to be a hit at any shows if, if they're playing this in the set all the way through. People are going to go batshit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because, like, to me, this was one of those songs that could have also opened the record. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, first off, with the lyrical content, which mm-hmm. is you know weight of the world, you know basically on your shoulders, like they threw me to they threw me to the wolves, you know. Ba-na-na-ba. You know he's just out there by himself, and the whole band comes in, and then it really goes fast, and then goes back to slow, and then has a classic breakdown talking about hard times and hardships, heartbreak, you know things that you know people can identify easily, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and but it's 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 it it has that awesome yeah turns the corner with timing you know you know just it very scratch the surface area take off and then change you know it's i love i love that song it's just a it's a cool concept song and and the music is just just so classic sick of it all you know i absolutely agree and then we get to always with us. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you hear here, Pete? I'm wondering. I'm wondering what you hear. Well, you're probably not going to be very surprised at all. <laughs> you, you knowing my background and all, but uh, I absolutely hear this little bit of a modern day-ish Motorhead. Un- you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. before Lemmy's passing, some of some of that the records that they've been putting out prior to his passing. But more of an influence of Kiss's Lick It Up. Oh! <laughs> so can you tell me, is, am I right in any aspect of my uh, notes here? Well, you know what the funny thing is, is that um, Always With Us is, has a very somber tone to it. You know, it has a, a element about, you know... Friends and loved ones who have passed. Yeah, we're talking lyric. Well, I'm not talking lyrically. I'm no, talking not, not lyrically. But the, <laughs> the interesting thing is because the connection through music of the people. You know what I mean? It's talking mm-hmm. about the great times we had and, and things like that. And um, I, I felt like I knew you were going to hear like a little bit of influence there. Right. Because, like like I said earlier, I, I referenced that. We, we reference, you know, when we talk about like what we're going for. Um to me, originally, I heard the song. I was like, "How does this? How does this fit?" You know, how, and you know, Pete's like, "Check out this riff," you know, and I was like, "It's very ACDC." That that was my description. It was very right. ACDC, and you know, and then, you know, as the song developed, and we said like what it was about. It's it's beyond being a hardcore song. It's it's like sick of it all, going to reach you know other genres and people who've connected with music, and. Um, so to me, the song kind of became a life on its own where I didn't get it at first. Right. And then as soon as I embraced this element of influence, 
you know, it just opened up a whole new world of like when we were doing vocals where I would be like, yeah, I was like, give me more Paul, you know, <laughs> you know, and he's like, and, and, and Lou would just laugh at me and he'd throw his head back and go, all right, you know, and I was like, Bit that, you know, like, you know, like, I'm like, give me that note, you know, and Lou Stanley. And, you know, they said, like, they always wanted to, like, you know, kind of have this kind of style song. And, and this was the opportunity because it was, like, the, the topic. You know I mean? The topic is, like, it's about, you know, friends who've passed that you've met maybe through music or just had amazing times with. And, and you know, it's asking them to walk with me. And, you know, it has that very straightforward even though I'm singing the ear candy part right there but it has this like this this very like you even joke when we were listening to it like the 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 kick drum part like oh this is the hand clap part it's like yeah it is it's like because hands clapping it's the most classic rock and roll you'll you'll kind of get you know out of a hardcore album because it's like it's an influence you know and and it's and these people influence us and honestly from my own personal thing you know the 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 guys you know they have their reason for connecting with the you know the people who have passed and whoever they're writing for and but me i when i was working with the guys one of my friends Cato Cadwalla had passed away unexpectedly in a motorcycle accident and he was such an acdc fan and i kept thinking of him whenever we worked on the song and thinking of like what would ac you know what would Cato do to get the ACDC thing? You know what I mean? Like, what he would probably laugh and be like, "That's not ACDC at all." Like, but to right. me, this was the closest we were kind of getting, and it was like it would, I would, you know, try and do it in this way of like, how can I think of my my friend who's produced amazing people like Blondie, mm-hmm. you know, to the Pretty Reckless, to, um, you know, Joey Jordan. He 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 had produced so many amazing records that like. I couldn't help but think of him when doing the song. And I think that's really what it comes down to is that like music is bigger um, than a genre. You know what I mean? And I I think the band really was able to get that point across with the content of the music and the lyrics. So it kind of like it fits, you know, it just ends up fitting because of that. So with with that, too, I actually do have a a technical question. Mm. Um, We were talking about the obviously we were talking about the 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 influence with with the music and the the chugging guitar riffs which obviously i i kind of jokingly noted reminded <laughs> me of kisses lick it up speaking of those chugging guitar riffs uh i was interested to know which uh amp pete used ah uh, yeah on this particular track you know you know it's interesting i think this song and bulls anthem may have been two of the one two of the songs where i swapped one of the guitar heads and maybe even the bass, mm-hmm. maybe even instead of using red, we might have used the, the black bass. Um, Craig was like, "No, no, it's tighter. It's tighter sounding. It, it'll it'll fit better." And you know he was right, and because he has these cool you know bass lines in both those songs that are very fitting for the style that you know we're doing. And Pete was like, "You know, I don't really want this to be too metalish, even though he's like, that's my sound. You know that that kind of Mesa." Rectifier mm-hmm. meets fifty one fifty because those were predominantly the record is a rectifier and a, and a fifty one fifty out of some Marshall cabs. I think we swapped out the fifty one fifty for the Tiny Terra Orange that I bought off of uh, Brian from Plow United. Um, yeah, I just I love the rock sound that that guitar mm-hmm. has. I mean that that head has with with um, Pete's guitar. 
Um, Pete uses the same rhythm guitar across the whole record. It's that this okay. custom that he's had basically for, I don't know, 20 years. It's been on every record. There are no knobs on the guitar. None? It's none. There's no volume knob because it's always, <laughs> he's always at 11. You know what <laughs> I mean? So basically, you know, that guitar um, only comes out for recordings. Oh, you know, at this point, at this point in their career, because it's it's really it's a very big sound, like just like how red is a very big sound of that bass tone. This guitar, it's it's a total black guitar. It has just the sick of no emblem in the 12th fret. Right. I think it's the 12th fret. And there's no. I've seen, yeah, I've seen it in the yeah. pictures. So there's like no no cutoff switch or anything. Like no cutoff. He has the he we use the um the mute pedal. The oh, okay. so the pedal cuts the feedback because otherwise you'd be like you know because he, he, so he must distortion. have to constantly does he have to constantly have it on to, yeah when he wants right. the, the 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 feedback he clicks it off he clicks it off okay, but i see that's why he he's like he can stop hold his guitar and right you know so it's such a cool sounding guitar too it just you yeah. play a chord on it like you hold the guitar and you're like you want to do like a fifth mm. like, oh, yeah. Yeah. like you want to do that chord because it just sounds like you know that pete sound so you know having a different guitar head in there definitely i think added to that kind of feel that you're you're hearing um i'm a big fan of the orange amp good 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 you picked I up use, on that i use variations of them myself whenever i have the opportunity at studio so i'm, I'm absolutely glad to hear yeah, that, that that's what i mean by like we're trying to do like a little different thing here for what each song is like approaching you know so it's like yeah let's switch the head mm -hmm. let's warm up the the you know the 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 tiny terror this, this, channel. this is something that Jerry does love to do, and yeah. just having recorded with him myself, um, I I myself got to experience using various amps uh, thanks to Jerry's suggestion, which he was always right. And I'm crazy, and I bring in things like Roto Toms. Yeah, <laughs> hit these here in this section. <laughs> <laughs> the, best, the best of times. So with that, I think we should switch over to side B. Oops, side B. And get to the next two tracks. Side B of. Wake the sleeping dragon.
So we just flipped over to side B and we started off with the title track, Wake the Sleeping Dragon. Mm. So I had mentioned here in my notes that I mentioned it was the title track. It is, it's a great title track. And um, I'm really into the last minute as it descends into this sick of it all meets a slightly David Gilmore-ish metal <laughs> note bending yes. section, which yes. I'm, I'm always a fan of, again, as you know, just from <laughs> working with me in the past. Yeah, and then just just ending with a a full hardcore blast. So, what about Wake the Sleeping Dragon? So, I love that song because it is like really just throwing it out there. Um, people are gonna make assumptions to what they think it's about. That's fine. Interpretation's cool, but it's a very aggressive um, political song, basically about you know um, taking a stand as as citizens and as a public. Um, not necessarily in a violent way, but Wake the Sleeping Dragon, you know, it's kind of loosely based around, um, means of protest, of, you know, peaceful protest, uh, shutting the, you know, the, you know, getting the gears and shutting them down and stopping the money flow and, and, um, that's, that's what it says to me, you know what I mean? I won't speak for what the band, you know, writes about in that way, but the actual song to me is such a pun in, punch in the face and it's like it, it opens up and there's this thing called three slices which we joked about in the album it's like there's a lot of three slices around in the spot like and, 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 and hits yeah and, and Armand said that to me by mistake and it just kind of became a joke he, he was like He's like, there's a lot of three slices on this. I was like, three slices. I was like, you think about pizza again? He's like, oh my god, I made three spot, three stops, you know, three, three stabs. And I was like, no, it's it's called slices. So it's got the slices in there, and then it goes into this, you know, from the clear, you know, knuckle drag, you know, creepy crawly kind of thing. There's this breakdown that happens that's very very different, and and. Um, Craig was just like, I want it to be chaos. I want it to be chaotic, you know. You know, he's like, Jerry, I want it to be, like, Wah! you know. He's like <laughs> doing a Craigism like of of this description, and I was like, I, I try and have things on my records that kind of you can kind of maybe tell of me, mm -hmm. you know. Is production, so I kind of pulled out the Ebo, and I was like, hey, I've never heard an Ebo on a Sick of It All song, and you end me up with either. this cool kind of like, it almost sounds like a theremin. Mm -hmm. Um, the, from like once again, call back to the 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 album cover, like a monster movie, like, mm -hmm. and then this key change happens, and then the, just when you think it couldn't go any more hard, it like it then goes to that last section you're talking about, and so it like right. kind of falls down the stairs even more, right. you know, it's like and it's just pounding, and uh, it has these cool bends in there, and it's kind of like almost dirty south stoner rockish in a way, but it's still a hardcore. You know, I mean, bridge and breakdown at the end. And then just, you know, brings you back to the top with the three slices. You know? <laughs> well, you know, and, and since we're actually talking about the title track, um, we are talking about Wake the Sleeping Dragon, the album itself. Uh, you, you did actually have involvement in the early pre-production and some of the writing, uh, if you want to yeah, elaborate you know what? It, on some of that. It's, it's, I mean, it's absolute honor to listen to a band for pretty much your whole adult life and then have them feel comfortable with inviting you into not only like capturing the album and like 
you know, getting it onto tape and or getting it, you know, into the computer in our case. Right. You know what I mean? You know, but to be included, um, you know, they've been mentioning it in interviews that I'm the first producer they have allowed into the writing process. So, like, I was able to suggest things, like, from when the from when the song started to first take hold, like when we were doing pre-production together, I'm like sitting there and saying, "Hey, how about this out there?" And we're like, "Well, we'll see if it works." You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and like they trust me because they feel like I can kind of convey um, in a way that you know it, it fits. Sick of it all. I'm not trying to like you know be like, "Oh, this band did that." Or try this. You know, I'm not trying to push. A different sound. They know that I get the band and I get the, yeah. you know, the you know the New York hardcore sound. So what I'm going to do is like a, a cool suggestion, and I won't take it personally if they shoot it down because I'm just trying to think of what's best for the song. And that's that's one thing that that's kind of uh, stuck with me with certain bands is sometimes they'll work with a producer and that producer will get them his sound of you know maybe the band that he's in and it's not really representative yeah of the actual band's true sound and, and those records usually turn me off yeah and, and that's why it's like I want to feel like they're able to be creative in the musical aspect of not just like okay well that's the guitar part like to get a little creative and have fun but I also don't want to you know alienate people who are expecting to listen sick of it all you know what I mean so it's like we look for these cool spots to you know add that ear candy and ear, add the, the different aura and I feel like this song really goes well with the album art you know what i mean and ernie heard it and and he he got that and and i i feel like it's like really an absolute mind-blowing experience to have a band like sick of it all like tours the world has you know over 11 12 record full-length records under their belt to actually be like hey what do you think or you know, what would you want to do there? Or, you know, I'm not crazy about this line, you know? And I'd be like, yeah, that's kind of a filler line. Like, no filler lines. I, I don't like filler lines. Like, no, let's come up with something better. Let's come up something fits better that says exactly what we're trying to say. What are we trying to say in this song? And, um, you know, I mean, when you look at the lyrics <laughs> the, to Wake the Sleeping Dragon, to that actual song, mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's no sugarcoating it. It's It's right there. Like... The expletive when you watch the lyric video online, pff, it's right there. Right. So, but yeah, it, it's an amazing experience to be allowed to be a part of their music and to be invited into, you know, not only making the album, but make it the, the creative aspect of the songs. And, and they've really been awesome in, in their interviews too, of like bringing it up mm-hmm. that I, I was, you know, uh, a, a useful tool in in the making of this album. So thanks guys. Right. For listening. Mean, <laughs> as both of us can attest to, you know, sometimes when you, you put yourself out there and, and it's nice to be appreciated and, and, and mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's such an honor. So great. Like so grateful for it. Okay. So then we're going to move on to two plus two. So immediately I noted, you have a great and catchy chorus and, um, it's another Craig Ahead lead vocal track yeah. of, of a few in the Sick of It All discography. And this this one probably may be one of the, the, the bigger standout tracks that he's ever recorded a lead vocal for. Uh, yeah, since, I love this song. Since, uh, I guess, well, Busted was his debut lead vocal on a Sick of It All record. Yeah. So. I said that, like, that's exactly what I referenced when when we 
like he had this awesome like circle pit song and basically I kind of we were over a like most nights over a bowl of pasta me and him late night cooking shocking you know everyone else kind of either going to sleep whatever me and him are late night eating and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Craig and I'm like he's like oh, what do you think about that song you know he's like I feel like it's like here yeah, a little bit of this a little bit of that you know you know we're referencing things like oh remember old Discharge remember all this and we're referencing bands and stuff and I was like yo where's the busted 2018 song and he's like huh and I was like I just I I want another like Craig one, and he's like, ah, he's like, you know, and then we float the idea out to Lou, and Lou's like, yeah, fucking do it, I don't give a shit, and like, <laughs> and so, like, he, he like went in and wrote like this, 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 this song about being on the road, you know what I mean, and being like, I'm not yeah. complaining, but you know, like, there's a lot that goes into this, and it all pays off when, um, when we're in front of that crowd, when people are going nuts, and you know, you're immersed in that moment, and. It's so funny because there's that that pause before that last section, um, and the that fake out. yeah, the fake out. And it's it's exactly intentional that it's supposed to be a little bit of a fake out. And it's like you know, here to play for you tonight. It's your turn now to make things right. And I was like, I want this to be like ignorant. This ending has to be like stupid. Like I want to flip the merch table and just run into people, you know, and just throw kicks into people I don't know. And, Old school Jerry. And, and Craig's like, yeah, yeah, I hear that. And, he, and like this riff comes out of like Pete and Craig is like, and he's like, let's set this motherfucker off. And like he comes up with these straight, amazing, like ignorant type like lyrics and, and singing and I was like yes Craig please can you sing this song and he's like alright you know and I think I think he even recorded like this this last section with like his pants up and his boxer shorts he's like you want ignorant I'll show you I'll show you I'll show you ignorant and like and, and there's like, a visual yeah we're cracking up laughing like and he like you know and Lou and, and Craig and Armand like for all the vocals they did on this record they really um, went above and beyond with um rehearsing and doing warm-ups like I, I introduced them to Melissa Cross uh Zen of Scream well I introduced them I introduced them doing it on a regular basis before they sang mm -hmm. Lou had already done Melissa Cross stuff in the past um but I had them doing it in pre-production leading up to to singing for those demos then when we did the record they already knew the exercise so they would do it and Craig would come out and he's like I immediately feel different like what I wasn't hitting yesterday I'm hitting today you know and um I think it shows like he has like this cool vocal line and Lou has these amazing melodies on the record and Lou shows up in the chorus of the song and mm -hmm. you know goes with Craig and, and then you know you got this this cool crazy ending that's just to me just like I said flip the merch table and just <laughs> just dive head you know, first like, all the lights just go black as yeah when, as soon as the little fake out ending like, starts and then as soon as it kicks back in, all the lights go up and everything. Yeah, like you said, like I, this is like one that would be great in the set. I, if I hear this in the set, I'm gonna like lose my mind. I'm gonna go bananas. <laughs> I'm gonna walk on some heads because like it's such a cool and it's such a simple, cool ending with all these cool drum parts and you know, you know. Look, it could be a potential busted two plus two. You know, I don't know. You wouldn't call it a medley. A oh, a combination. Yeah, I, I love Boston. Two back to back, back. favorite songs. And we, we've been joking about that song since we were a teen. Like, you know, <laughs> kick it with the fucking teeth. <laughs> you know, you know, we've been like, kick it with the fucking teeth. You know, like, so like the fact that even like that there's another Craig song. It's like 
Craig Ahead has amazing vocals. It's got to be put out there. Yeah, the, the the first yeah the Creep Division record is definitely one to seek out if nobody's ever heard that one. Mm. So, with that, let's move on to the next two tracks. Tracks, I'm here now to do tracks. I just want to hear the tracks. tracks. <laughs> I'm here now. To... Get away from me! I'll burn you. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mister Sasobian. Mister Sasobian, you dummy. <laughs> Do it! 
two songs. So these two songs that uh, Jerry is referring to, we just listened to Beef Between Vegans <laughs> and Hardcore Horseshoe. So, you know, I had some basic notes. Just, again, you got another really solid, pissed off, sick mm, of it all track yeah. in, in the classic vein of sick of it all. A really big, strong chorus. Big, big breakdown, which pretty much leads through to the end of the song, which I really dug. Mm. The uh, the thing about Beef Between Vegans and Hardcore Horseshoe that really sticks out to me is that this is like the humor, tongue-in-cheek aspect of the record. Um, even though Beef Between Vegans, is, is the lyrical content is, is pretty serious. It's about like basically running out of, um, you know, natural resources. There's just so much about the song that um, is, you know... Very serious, but then when you read like some parts of it, there's a, there's some wordplay going on. You know, there will be tanks on Thanksgiving while we're flipping the bird. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is some kind of funny, kind of like lighthearted, tongue-in-cheek type stuff with it. And um, so, what'd you think of that? The end section of of that one of of beat between beats. Uh, to me, it's like so like like. Brooklyn Lamore is like <laughs> Brooklyn Lamore, yes. you know, like <laughs> no, like I said, I, I really I, that's one of the the highlights of the track that I noted was that that big giant breakdown. It's probably why I I, I probably identify with it so much is just because we lived through it. Yeah, it, <laughs> <laughs> and we lived through it, played it, been in it. <laughs> you know, I think I think that in the title is just hilarious too. You know, it's just such a good song, and um, and it's funny like this one, Harkle Horseshoe. They they, they just like. There's such like, um, like Armand type style like things like he loves like having fun and like cracking up laughing and and having a good time with, with jokes. So like when he was working on like like hardcore horseshoe, he's like you got to see this, and he was like so excited about these like these lyrics of this this like ah, and he's like laughing, and, and we're all kind of cracking up hearing him talk about mm-hmm. you know what what the the topic is. And he's like giving me like the pre-production like vocal of like how it should be like delivered, and he's looking at me like with the giddy Armand like face of like, I love working with Armand because he gets all like all excited. He's like oh, oh. like he, he looks like oh, like, like he's gonna explode with the excitement. So he comes over and he's like, hi. he just turns around after he sings the line. He just turns around, and looks at me from the booth like ha 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 ha, like like the sinister laugh. And he walks out of the booth and, he, and I was and he had this like serious look on his face like something wasn't quite right. And I was like, what's wrong, man? He's like, he's like, oh, he's like. I, I love it. I just just really wish we could, you know, um, incorporate the word toupee in there, you know, because he's talking about like male pa- like pattern baldness, yeah. like and and when people like you know our age and like older, we tend to stand in the back of the show and like kind of make a space for the pit instead of like oh we all crowd up and like a pit erupts and oh I gotta we immediately like give the space and it's like who wants a play to that 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 bald spot on the floor you know and he's like oh and and I was like ooh. I was like, or they'll be held to pay. And he was like, oh, and then he got like, he's like, yes, that's it, that's it. I was like, oh, I, so that's my little contribution right there is like, held to pay. <laughs> <laughs> and he like ran in and threw that in and we moved some lyrics around and it was just, it just was like a fun song and everyone doing the gang vocals, they were just like cracking up laughing. Um, you know, as we got a bunch of, you know, guys with shaved heads singing it. You know, and, and you know, bald spots. You know, singing into the into the mic. You know, we're all like laughing, hysterical, and giggling, and and but yet, like it, 
it, once again, it also has a very, like, kind of, to me, like, Lamore's type riff. If you know, well, Motorhead. Yeah, it's funny, because you know. I noted, too, with Hardcore Horseshoe, it does remind me, within Sick of It All's time, between 89 and 94, uh, so it, it does... Yeah, you know, and... It, sort of have that era that you're talking about. Once again, the, the way that there's there's a lot of lyrics in these two songs, the way that he fires them off is is kind of like that just look around type like like almost kind of like um there's a there's a flow to it, like a, a rhythmic flow. Right. You know, and um to me the end of, of of Beef Between Vegans has almost like a little bit of uh kind of late 90s, you know, post hardcore like da, 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 you know, but it's just Snapcase case ish. You know, you you can say like that that kind of yeah that that note like kind of flow that kind of the only time we'll get kind of monotone in this record is there because everything else is kind of filled with melody. But that one's like very da 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 da. Like the vocal flow. Yeah, exactly. So it's very cool. I, I really like how um, you know Lou performed across the whole record, but these two in particular, you know, there's a lot to get out in them. You know. And the yeah and the the gang vocals. Hardcore horseshoe, the the don't give up, it's all great. Oh, you like the move, yeah. like you know, because you you go to how many shows your whole life, and everyone's like, yeah. as soon as they start the set, move up. You know, they, for some reason I don't know where that started, but move up. Like yeah. people do that. It's just it's it's, it's well rec- it's just well recorded all those sections and and well mixed within the song, mm. segueing to to the ending of the song. Just a just great job. Yeah, the mixes are insane. Like two Madsen just kills it. All right, well, let's get to the next two tracks. Bells 
just played Mental Furlaw and Deep State. Um, I have a basic note on Mental Furlaw, and uh, it's mainly that the, the main riff of the song, it takes me back to We Just Want the Truth from mm. Just Look Around, the record that uh, pretty much got me into Sick of It All. Yeah. You know, it's funny, it's like the, this is the area on the record where I feel like a lot of times I would just bring up, I was like, I, I want more Just Look Around. Like when especially it comes out of like Lou's vocal performance and like I'm just like give me more just look around and it's like it's like this super pissed but like really good rhythmic flow to it that's very like kind of New York New York hardcore like that just sticks in my brain like I know it when I hear it I can't quite describe it and um, you know I feel like around this area in the record it's like we're getting to different kind of points of view um, lyrically you know. Um, just from frustration to not being able to identify with to looking at, you know, the general state of any government politics from an outside point of view or from a, um, a rejecting certain ideas or certain, you know, identity politics. And I feel like that around this year it goes because we just had the two like kind of like tongue in cheek kind of like fun ones. Right. That, are, you know, and now all of a sudden it just mental furlough is like just a straight pissed off song. And that ending it's like has this cool like when we're doing the gang vocals i remember ernie like yelling like he's like oh my god we should do harmonies like he was like shut up i'm sh-. And like and it it has this it works yeah and it, it just has this cool kind of singy end to it like it's almost like cathartic and um but the whole song is just so you know you know it just kicks your ass and then like Deep State comes in, and to, to me, like, when I listen to it on vinyl, I'm, like, hearing just the toms, boom, boom. It's very caveman, you know? And then there's every little stop before, like, a, a part comes in with, like, delays and things like that. It's such a different impact. Like, you know, it's like, dun, dun. And, like, I hear the depth of all the instruments Mm -hmm. and then like it goes to the chorus where it's just the drums and the bass again with the vocal line and there's all this space and reverb and echo and like it just explodes to me when I listen to it uh, on these speakers and like on the the vinyl. So it's just like, wow. Yeah, that's definitely more stuff that we're not accustomed to hearing on the the older Sick of It All records and even much of the ones that have come out in in recent years. Uh, That's one thing I noted about Deep State was you, you got this classic Craig Ahead bass sound that, that leads the song off. Yeah. And you got these sections with uh, Craig and Armand, bass and drums, just locked in, as usual. It's just, uh, just you know, again, they probably, they probably must have practiced this one before recording it. I, I can only imagine how many times, and it, it definitely shows in the recording. It's just absolutely locked in on this one. Yeah, it's Craig, uh, Craigism. He's like, it's like it's, it's like a fat kid going nuts at Castle Heights. I was like, it's like, yeah. I was like, that's great. I was like, because that's a, that's a like, you know, the, um, you know, just look around type stuff to me was. It was just like, it's really like, it really makes Lou's vocals shine. And, you know, I would be like, Lou, give me more of this. And he'd be like, sure. You know, like, uh, what an amazing vocalist to work with. And not only amazing guy and great guy to like hang with and talk with, but like, like, I, I would be like, oh, can you try, you try like this and you're a little flat. Like, sure. Okay. Again, it's like, let me, let me get a little more water. That's like, let me get a little more water. Sip. All right, good. And he just like, 
and you're like, oh my god, yes, that's that's absolutely right there. When he gives you like one that's like you're like, oh my god, that's a memorable, and he does that all through this record, and then like he does it so much to me in Deep State, like I just hear these, you know, rest online, like you know, it's like so Lou, like so many other vocalists have have picked up on that, mm-hmm. and you know, done their own thing with it, but it's just like. This part of the record to me really, really speaks to me. So is is this one of the songs where Craig has might have used the classic red beat to shit? Oh, this is <laughs> uh, that's red. Yeah, you hear it. Because <laughs> that's the one thing I, I said it has to be when I heard it the first time. I said it has to be the fucking red bass. Yeah, one of the greatest things I've learned over the years, and especially really drove the point home when I work with like the guys in Sick of It All, is the fact that. The player really matters, mm-hmm. and their their instrument, their instrument. And when Craig picks up red, and he'll play like that, gong, 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 gong. The way he strikes it, and which is why it has that divot, I guess, in it. Yeah. He just he beats the he shit, beats out, the of shit out of that. And when he plays it, he activates the tone, the te- the timbre of that instrument. Yeah. And the same thing with with Armand. Armand hits everything with conviction he hits every single hit without hesitation if he hesitates you may not even pick up on it he knows it and he goes no that wasn't good do it again because he wants everything to be at full capacity and like like and pete with a guitar there's no there's no volume there's no need for it right everything is played hard nothing is soft and fast and at his speed you know what i mean and he's like he's like you know you know, like he just he he slams the strings and it activates that instrument that you know. And together you get that sick of it all recording. And then Lou steps out and you know you tell him like give me this and you know he does. He just delivers it. You know, it's just it's an incredible experience to, to withhold. It's like I'm like kind of at awe like hearing the finished products like here, mm-hmm. you know, on this vinyl. It's just like that's everything I was hoping it would be. <laughs> Well, lastly about the bass, because I, I forget, but those listening that are really big fans or just listen, just hearing about them for the first time here and may, may uh, check them out and hear this bass that we're talking about, what is what what is the model of the bass? What type of bass is it? Which brand is it? That's a terrific question. Um, Do you recall? Cause is I, it a P I bass? I, I, I feel like, like I know that there's um, a replaced tuning peg on it, but let's let's say I could tell you that in a second. Let me look, look at my photos because I have so many pics of it. Because Red is like, he's had it. I mean, he had yeah. it when he was in Youth of Today. Yeah, he's he's had, he's it, had it since it the eighties. Through, yeah, since like I every... seen, I've seen it when it didn't have any divots. Did, exactly, yet. and it's just <laughs> it's like just the greatest. It's amazing to see those pictures, and he's like, yeah, it's like a child. That that time <laughs> in Scratch the Surface when I brought brought it up to my professor like oh this that's red that's that bass guitar you know and um you know clearly there's been different amps and heads and, and cabs and but you know it's usually red and usually like a sans amp pedal with the two you know the two buttons that, that right you know he's that craig swears by but you know craig's very specific about the way he wants it to sound it sounds like he describes it as kind of like a hockey puck mm-hmm. you know it's got to bounce around it's got to react the bass sound has to react and not be too wompy you know like and um but red just has that you know obviously it being such an old bass it needs a bit of love you know when it comes to intonation and and um what strings are on it and 
you know, any type of tuning like that. But it's it's been around and, you know, played so many CBGB shows and showed up on so many records. Um, yeah, I should have it right here. Let's take a look. And I have this thing where Craig stuck a piece of foam in the top for, I think, the end of Wake the Sleeping Dragon, one of the ends of the songs. He has like a little foam thing. I took a bunch of pictures of the headstock. Jesus Christ, how many? <laughs> See how I take and, photos? And of... Endless roll of photos in this phone right now, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, t I take a lot of, I document a lot. Well, who would have thunk it? A guy who records things for a living documents people's music. Yeah, no, I, don't, I don't blame you, especially <laughs> for a project like this. Here we go. Here's this gang vocals. Look. Oh, look, there's one of Mackie eating pizza. <laughs> There's one. Here it is. Here it is. No, that's that's the Armand playing the Epiphone. That's gang vocals. Lou by the TLM 103. Here, here we go. Oh, that's the black one. Check that out. Oh wow. That's the one that's on Bull's Anthem, and I believe. What was the other one I said it might have been on? Self Important Shithead. I think so. Here, yeah, there, there it is. The red, yeah. it's a Fender. Yeah, it's it's, but see, that's what I was wondering if it, it was it a Fender or it's, was it? it you is can't it tell because it is, but it, it. See, that's what I was talking. About. See that foam thing we stuck under to get a little dum dum on one. Uh -huh. These are kind of breakdown ones. Yeah, you can't really see. It's it's really. Uh, see, that's why I don't know because like, look, it's so worn away. Everything's worn away that you can't really see what it. You can't even tell what that is. The, there's a VIN. There's a VIN number on the back. You know, only he, um, only he probably knows at this point. Yeah, and look, and and it's funny. There's there's a hole drilled in it, um, where when when he tells a good story on uh on this podcast that we did, that um, this guitar tech for Slayer, he he drilled a hole in the headstock just to test out his drill before he fixed the tuning peg on the tour that he did huh. they were like playing with Slayer it's like right up there see that hole right at the, the dot like yeah right yeah right there there's like just just a straight hole right through it and it's and it's like ah you know it's it's. I mean the guy has since passed away unfortunately right. so it's kind of like a little cool memory of, of the guy who's worked on so many people's guitars um, but he replaced that the only thing that's replaced on that bass is that one tuning peg Huh. I believe it's all the same, like pickups. Everything. Which everything else is just the same, you know. It's been that whole area that's that's all faded though. He like he doesn't he doesn't get catch like splinters from that fucking from the wood or anything like that. No, well, look at you right. That. See, look at that. I just always wondered about that. No, it's 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 almost as if it's sanded he just, down. It, all the finish is gone. It's just it's, that the finish and is the gone. wood is that gone too. There's like it divots in. It's from his playing. He hits it and that's he's like, I mean. it's it's all sanded down. Oh. It's like from the hand, from not from sand, not from sand, from his from his plane. That's incredible. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> God. <laughs> and it's like because not for nothing, like everything the sick of it all does is they play hard and with conviction. So whether it's Lou, you know, shredding an actual scream and not faking a scream, or Pete, you know, ripping into it, or you know, Craig to the point where he's. Chewing away at the wood, or Armand actually uses like the Kevlar snare tops because oh, he's he using just those now? he's been for years because oh, he I breaks the regulars. He yeah, breaks are... the like the marching snare ones. Yeah, like yeah. it's like they're heavy, 
because he just he goes through them. Like he's like he hits so hard that he just snaps, you know, tops of snares all the time. So he's like, oh, these don't, you know what I mean? And so there's a very heavy sound to it, a very mm. bright attack to those, you know, to those snare skins. All right. So on that note of snare skins, snare, <laughs> snare, snare. Let's get to the next two tracks. We got three to go. So let's go to these next two.
right, so we just listened to Bad Hombres and Work the System. Uh, now, if I'm detecting just from a lyrical standpoint, these both seem to be like sort of sister songs. Mm. But, uh, this whole yeah. arena of this part of the album that, that, that is, a, to me, uh, personally, you know, won't speak of the band. To me, it's like just very observational about um, different topics, you know what I mean, uh, that are in whether it be political climate, whether it be environmental climate, um, whether it be, you know, how people are running money, how businesses are running politics and money, how media is manipulating and backed by money. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's a whole slew. And it's like, instead of jamming it all into one song, it's kind of like, it, it's kind of spread out here. Right. And to me, like the, um, the bad hombres, I mean, people will maybe take things at face value. It's, you know, kind of funny the things we reference in, in you know, but uh, to me, the the idea of the, the the wall aspect is is it's it's a timeless thing in music. Like when we talk about the Pink Floyd's the wall, we talk about you know minor threat screaming at a wall, mm -hmm. you know, and this idea of like you know building a wall around yourself or to protect yourself, um, you know, it's it's and it's always gonna like gonna fall. It's gonna you know what I mean. It's always gonna come down, and and to me like. You know, people may come up with their own interpretations for it. That's what it says to me, what I what I see out of it. Um, and the song is just straight up traditional hardcore song. You know what I mean? It just like goes, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, breakdown, boom. You know what I mean? And it has this, you know... I felt there was a little bit of a helmet-ish kind of thing yeah? going with bad hombres. Awesome. Very, very, very little hint. Little hint, look... A little pepper, yeah, a little, little pepper, a little pepper, a little peppered in there. You know, it's it's, you know, it's 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 a bold song. You know what I mean? Same as like I feel like, you know, Deep State. You know, you know, Wake the Sleeping Dragon, Work the System. They're, they're very bold songs. Um, work the System, like to me, it's just like talking about you know bailouts and 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 corporations running different aspects and, mm -hmm. and that's what I've always loved about Sick of It All like from being a fan to being someone who actually gets you know to be involved in their music I love that they don't sugarcoat shit and they talk about aspects that are Never kind of timeless you know and they, they get right they point their finger directly at it that's what stuck out to me about Just Look Around and I reference that when I talk about these specific songs in this part of the record all the time like I want that Just Look Around like I want you to fucking point your finger, shine a light directly on that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, there's, of course, open to interpretation because no one reads the lyrics the same or hears the music the same, but Work the System has those three slices, you know? <laughs> da -da -da, you know? And I, and yeah, that's the one thing. I, I the, the, the gang vocal sections, every single part on that song, it's, it's, it's the highlight. Yeah, and, yeah and, and like, they, they act as if, like, a fifth band member. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... They're just so prominent. That's been a big theme on these last few Sick of It All albums that you've yeah. worked on too. Is you know you've had the big gang vocals in that in that big room. Yep, the same room we do the, <laughs> the drums. Same room we did. The, we, yeah, you guys do the drums. And it's it's Team Craig and Team Armand. I I, I assign each guy as a captain, mm -hmm. and he chooses his team. And the two teams try and kind of outdo each other, and uh, <laughs> it's great because like they're they all. They all know what they're doing, you know. They're not there to joke around. They really... I, I work the shit out of them. Like, there's like four of each group. So there's like a total of probably almost 200 people 
after you, you multiply that 30 to 40 people times eight, you know? How many, how many layers of, of these gang vocals did you do in, like on this track or overall, like what would you say would be like the average amount of layering you would do on, on these, the gang vocal tracks? It's, it's definitely a total of eight takes used and you know i mean we had to do the gang vocals in two different um sessions because there's there's 17 songs on the record you know yeah. what i mean you can't make people shout that many times no and <laughs> sing because they're singing right you know, there's gang vocals that are straight up singing and yeah, you got to divide these se sessions out usually. even in these songs where you don't think that they're singing that you know duh duh Duh. There's a specific note that they're going for, you know. Work down, sis, dun, dun, right. dun, 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 You know, it, it goes with the melodies that that Lou is delivering on this record, and you know, it's very intentional. Lou, Lou really did a great job singing melodies within his screams that make the songs very unique and interesting. And um, you know, Work the System is a great, you know, example of that. You know, and it leads up to that ending. You know, and it's it's such a such a great performance. Yeah, the vocals were very. You could tell the vocals were very carefully planned out. Before before they were recorded as final. So speaking of final. We have the final track. Final track. And we're going to play right now.
we just listened to the final track of the record, The New Slavery. Mm. So here we have another case where you have Craig Ahead leading off the song. And this one is actually sung by the drummer Armand. Yeah! <laughs> the one little note that I made, just sort of a humorous note that you and I can identify with, is the little delayed guitars at the, at the end that decay out and echo out. It reminds me of the ending of uh, Shelter's Civilized Man from, <laughs> from, from Mantra, one of, one of my all-time favorite records. That's awesome. <laughs> so that, that, that's one thing. As soon as I heard it, I kind of, I kind of chuckled to myself like, oh, a little Shelter, that, that's, that's great. But, um, so... What uh, what can you tell us about this one? Yeah, that that, that little ending, it's interesting because like to me that last part, it, it's it's really a period on the record. Um, I heard initially as I thought it would, it would be like a dead stop, but when two mixed it, he had like that little delay, and it makes sense because since delay has been like a, a, a kind of a, an instrument in in the theme of the mix, um, basically. That happens right there, and then it's kind of like it, it lets you know their album's over, you mm -hmm. know. And it does. It, I, I know exactly which delay. It's. I wonder if it's the same modeled plugin after that reverb. But um, but yeah, it's like that ending is. It's it's such an epic big ending where it's like it's unique. the whole crowd it's unique to them again. Yeah, it's another, little, 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 like this kind of post hardcoreish yeah. type ending. And it's it's. It's awesome because I, I feel like it's a total curveball to the listener that all of a sudden Armand, the song starts and all of a sudden Armand's singing and it's like, oh shit. And I was like, we have another amazing singer in the band. Like, you know, Armand sang in Rest in Pieces. Like, let's yeah, utilize that. Exactly. Like, why not? Like, you have how many albums out there? Let's let's go. And once again, like, Lou, what do you think about Armand singing? He's like, sure, I don't fuck. Like, you know, and he's like, Lou sings with him on the chorus. But it's like all of a sudden you hear Armand delivering this 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 song about um, you know debt, being in you know in eternal debt, which mm. is like the new slavery, and right. and at the end like you know how am I supposed to be proud of this? Like this is my home, and like you know corporations pulling the strings, and you know something that I'm sure probably he he feels very deeply about, and I'm like you know like I threw it to Craig, I was like. Can, why don't you just sing it? It's, it fits your voice so well. Like when I saw him perform at the Black and Blue Bowl with uh, rest, you know, rest in pieces. I was just like, why is this not happening more? You know what I mean? Like why is this not? And and he just killed it, and we had fun doing it. And I feel like it's a, it's another, you know, musical venture for them as a band to have him on the mic at the end of the record. Um, and honestly, like, like I said, this whole side B to me, it's kind of like I've been hearing a lot of things the past few years. And people are like, "Oh, where's all that pissed off hardcore we thought we were gonna get?" You know, to me, it's like, "Well, here it fucking is." Like, "Oh, have you been upset about that? And you've been upset about that? And you've been upset about that? And you don't like the way this person reacted, or the, the maybe the cops reacted, or the military, or the president reacted, or or Congress reacted, or these corporations got out of this, or they bailed out of that?" It's like, here it is. Here's, you know, here it is summed up and to be pissed off about. And, you know, what you pull from it is is, is totally up to the listener. Mm -hmm. But from my interpretation, it's like he's talking about at the end of this song kind of pulls that all together. 
you know, um, the current feeling of just wanting, you know, being forced to feel like you have to work to pull off, to pay off debt, you know, just to pay off debt, just to pay it off. And like, you don't like feel like you have a choice in the matter. Well, you do have a choice in the matter, you know what I mean? But it's just like the alternatives sometimes aren't great. You know, from, you know, he's talking about work the system, you know, about people doing stuff just to put food on the table to people who have tons of money and just do it because they can get away with it, Mm -hmm. you know, to the new slavery when it's like, you know, something works against us, you know, rolling in their money, the bloodiest of things. Like, like I just, when I hear that line, like listening to it on vinyl, like I picture like these fat pigs, like from like the book (laughs) Animal Farm, just rolling around the money being like, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) and just like, they're just like, they're just happy in it. And it's because I believe like Armand sold me on what he's singing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's really fucking pissed about it, you know? So, I gotta ask. We have 17 tracks on the record now. Uh, after the last record, Last Act of Defiance, there there was another. I guess you can call it an EP. Mm-hmm. Well, no, or, well there was a there was a two song single. Hardcore <laughs> equals freedom. Hardcore equals freedom. Yes, yes. Well, we, 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 I don't own was, that. Yeah, it's yeah. It was one song. There was one song, okay. and, then, and then there was one song that was actually from the record. But that's leading into me asking: Can we expect any extra tracks? That were recorded. I mean, if there was, I would absolutely probably not be allowed to talk about it. But because there's not, I don't think that there's. Oh, you know, okay. well, I the, the whole arsenal. I feel like was very intentional. We were very selective about what songs were going to be that we felt were ready and completed. I mean, there's there's stuff recorded. You know what I mean? But right. like the, these, we felt were the strong. Wake the Sleeping Dragon tracks, you know right. what I mean? And, you know, I know that uh, Last Act Defiance had, like, one extra song in, in like, the Japan release, I think, and or maybe the final... I, I think there was different stuff with that, but I don't think that's the case with with this. Okay. Unless, you know, there's something I don't know about, but, like, you know, these guys constantly come up with great ideas, and, you know, like, the last... The first thing I got to produce with them was that When the Smoke Clears... Uh, uh, EP that we did for the 30th anniversary and that is mainly a, a coffee table book right with like pictures from the past 30 years beautiful package so yeah. yeah there was so much to coordinate with that that you know we banged out the recording and and I didn't get to even hear the songs till day one of recording and it was like oh let's do this in like I don't know like a week mm-hmm. and we like ripped through it and I'm very very proud of it but it was kind of like whoa what just happened you know what I mean this time we got to actually pre-pro the songs for Wake the Sleeping Dragon in the studio where we're going to record it at, which they had never gotten that that ability before with an album. It was usually like rehearse somewhere and then, then go to the studio and like you never know what you're going to get. They already know Nova Studio in Staten Island and they know what sounds it and they, they're able to just sit down and get creative. And with the pre this, it's like we really worked on all these 17 songs before like drum track one was recorded for the tech, you know, the album. And um, so to me, it's like th- this is it. This is this is that album. You know, what I mean, there's there's the other one had like oh, you know, th- there's a lot of songs that was released that song, and you know, and then we we even contemplated bringing a song or two over from when the smoke clears. It's like oh, maybe we should re-record those, and those those will be like the extra, you know, release. And then it was like, no, nah, no, nah, we did that. You know, it's kind of like we we did that. Let's 
let's focus on these songs and you know and um, and really just about the performance everyone feeling comfortable with what they're performing before getting in you know hitting record so you know we're in an incredible experience doing th this record it's like definitely a highlight in my career of like 15 years of making yeah. albums like because like uh, listen to it back right now with you and listen to it with a friend there's no moment where I'm like ugh like I cringe like oh I wish I that wasn't like that like oh there's like no moment it's like it's all like very intentional sick of it all creative aspects that these four musicians brought to the table you know and uh, they allowed me to be a part of which is incredible they allowed me into their process and into their album to make a better record and that's mm -hmm. just like an honor and like it, it, to sit here and like listen to it and just talk about it it's like kind of almost surreal you know like oh awesome you know especially when it's kind of the way that I don't know uh, like I said I felt the past few years you know it's like you can really just dump some aggression out you mm -hmm. know dump some some anger you know like a <laughs> It's just incredible. I'm just immediately thinking about like uh, insurance crap that I went through like recently when I listened to the new slavery, like how I'm just getting ripped off by an insurance company. Right, right. You know, and I'm like, and they're actually have nerve to call me for to asking for money. I'm like, I gave you the money. Right? Wow, yeah. Every month when I like give you hundreds of dollars. Health like, insurance? No, no, like a car insurance. Oh, though. car insurance. Okay. Like it's like uh, get into a, an accident. It's not my fault. Like years ago and someone rear-ends me and it's like, oh, you're completely not at fault. But still, give us a $1,000. It's like, but I already yeah. gave you. And now finding out how much I was overpaying them recently, I was just like, how dare they like call me up and say like, oh, you got to give more money. It's like, but I give you money every month. That's what this is for. Right. Give me the service. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like you getting the vinyl in the mail and like having like, you know, three of the 17 songs. And you're like, hey man, where's the rest of my songs? But right. we'll send this more money. It's like no, no. I paid no, you. I paid her right here. Yeah. You know yeah. that's 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 the deal. Mm -hmm. I pay you for a service that you don't even have to provide all the time. You know, so you know there's a lot in this record that I feel like people are really going to be able to connect with and identify with. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, the one thing I was going to also want to mention too is uh, we are obviously a a vinyl driven podcast. Uh, I sat with this album with the CD version for a while because for whatever reason I pre-ordered the vinyl it didn't show up on release day my CD didn't even show up on release day but that was on me for deciding to order from Amazon uh, but I've, <laughs> I've ordered their last few records from Amazon and received them on day of so I don't know what happened here but I sat with the CD for a while obviously and, and I, I listened to it a bunch of times and having listened to the vinyl now twice having listened to the black vinyl and now having listened to yours there is that um that obvious contrast between well to my ears uh, I don't know about you um, but there's that contrast to my ears between the vinyl and the CD and mm, the, yeah know, the one one thing that Joey and I had said in the first episode is that you know we don't want to be the um, we don't want to be those uh, vinyl snobs but I will say in this case there there is definitely um, I don't want to say a glaring difference but uh, the vinyl does carry a little more of a, of that infamous warmer sound. Yeah, there's a and depth. It, yeah, there's definitely a little more. Yeah, like especially like the melodic guitars and a lot of the stuff that you were mentioning that was tucked tucked in in the middle in in certain sections in the mix. They're they're definitely a little more uh, enhanced and heightened. 
uh, when you listen to it on vinyl. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because that's like the first time I could get to hear it like that. And right, it's like, and you've heard it. And in I've the heard studio it ad nauseum. Like I've heard every mostly mix. You did in a digital in a digital. Yeah, realm. I've heard every like you know from the demo version. So it's like I'm hearing digital, 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 digital. You know what I mean? And it really is has been you know the whole way through, and that's that's just how it is. They don't they don't have um, easy accessibility to record the tape. Uh, in studios these days, is like it something it's, you miss? Like, do you, do you miss? Yes and no. I mean, every everything is like a. There's there's you know there, there's tools and then there's things that are hindrances and both of them, and the greatest thing about digital to me is that I hit open and the song is exactly the way I last left it. In the yeah. studio of analog, you had to like reset knobs and yeah. recall settings and oh it doesn't sound exactly right and. You know, any given day, you may have not written down the right thing. Or it just could be a change in the analog gear, you know. But hearing that transfer on, you know, onto the vinyl, I, I can hear the activation of the reverbs and the delays and, like, how they, they have, like, that third dimension that goes, like, in front of my face, like, to the wall, rather than coming out of left and right speaker, which I hear often in, in the headphones. I do a lot of headphone listening, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's how majority of people in digital formats um, listen to their music. Um, I feel like, you know, if you are buying vinyl, you are going for a... You, you're not just listening to music as background music. Like, you're a music enthusiast. Right. You know, so... That's a sound experience. So, yeah, exactly. So, a you're sitting down with the experience and, and, and hearing... Um, this This is the Fat Wreck... Um, print so that this splatter and so i think they did a great job yeah you know i mean did. whatever delay there was to it uh, it's fine because if as long as it sounds right that's what it matters you know yeah, it, was, it was definitely worth it was definitely worth the delay for sure yeah it looks it looks beautiful but to me honestly like when it comes down to like vinyl like it really does matter to me how it sounds it matters not what it really so much looks like i mean plenty of people i understand the whole presentation yeah. aspect but like Hearing that depth is the same depth I first noticed, like, I think when my dad was playing, like, a Foreigner record or something, and I heard the snare and the specific reverb mm -hmm. that I would later be able to identify as the Lexicon SSL reverb that came with every SSL board. I was like, oh, shit, that's that song reverb. Right. And I may be a little wrong. Maybe that be the silicon beads or whatever the hell it was, the setting. But I'm able to hear that like I'm sitting in the studio again. So it's like, it really, you know, jumps off the, the needle. Yeah. You know. Well, it's crazy because even lately I've been listening to a bunch of like older records and things I've heard countless amounts of times and then all of a sudden I hear something I'm like, I never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it usually resonates off the vinyl but it's because I've been so accustomed over the years to listening to a lot of stuff on iPods and, you know, when traveling around commuting and commuting and especially when vinyl was kind of dormant for all those years where it uh, wasn't really being produced very much and we were in the, the CD and digital age. Yeah. And, you know, going back to vinyl over 10 years ago or so and heavily collecting again, uh, that's just one of those things that I just started thinking. Like, I, I, I kind of can't believe that I, I'd been missing out on so much of this this stuff with, um, the, you know, with, with, the, with the CD, with the, the CD versus vinyl. And again, not to say again that we're uh, trying to 
push the, the vinyl agenda here, but it really is, there's something to be said for it. No, it's, di- it's different because there is a different combination also happening between, even if you listen to something that's recorded in, say, 64, that was put onto vinyl. Like, here's the thing. That was put onto analog tape. The distortion points are different. The, you know, the tape hiss from the actual tape recordings is different to just natural vinyl hiss. You know, there's so many different elements to majority of music that's recorded now. A large majority, unless you're, like, in the Foo Fighters and own your own shit. Yeah. Like, you are recording to what the studio has. And the studios have DAW, you know, digital setups, platforms, and, and you're going to record to that. And you're going to hit as high a sample rate you are, or you're going to do straight down to a low sample rate of and dip depth so that you don't dither down or whatever it is. But it's interesting to me because it's a different approach when it gets to vinyl finally now than how it used to be analog, analog, analog to vinyl. Now it's digital, digital, digital to vinyl. So it's almost like a different combination that didn't exist, not only in 1972, you know, but didn't exist in like 1999. Mm. Like in 1999, you recorded analog and then it went to vinyl, and yeah, you were pressing CDs, but it wasn't going to CD first and then going to you know, vinyl. Now it's like you're going to digital first, and then right. it's ending up on vinyl. So vinyl gives a different depth to the digital. You know, to me, it's like, that's an important thing because how I hear it being played back Mm -hmm. through my actual, say, plugins or through my DAW or if I'm, whether I'm using, I can hear a difference between Pro Tools and Cubase at this point to me. You know, I I prefer one or the other, you know, but it's just like, I hear it. So hearing that kind of comeback in vinyl, you know, when it ends up on a CD, CD that format is like based off of the earliest silliest reason if you look up the history of it as to why that and it's stayed the standard if anything we've gone less than the standard with the mp3s down to lower bit rates and lower it's just like it sounds like you know digital rain to me when it goes down to mp3 right, right. you know but I get it it's like you know you want to stream something you want to have it you know um, or as many fit that fit on your phone as possible but now we're getting to the world where we can have higher sample rate things. So digital may contest vinyl in a way of like the quality may get a little more better with its depth, but it won't be the continuous, you know, wax. It won't be like like how the tape machine is. It's a continuous, you know, waveform. It's mm-hmm. not a digital snapshot. So to me, it's like, it's kind of beautiful to hear that last level of, you know, what was my digital, you know, album, like, put onto vinyl it's just like wow boom it gives a a, a little bit more of the aura of the uh, the monster theme wake the sleeping dragon (laughs) sick of it all (laughs) well and and I was gonna say too that it clearly it sounds like this thing was mastered for vinyl like there was actually some care put into it because there's nothing more that kind of disappoints me than when you put on a newer record and you could tell immediately this thing was not mastered for vinyl I don't detect that here I hope I'm right, but this this does sound like there was some actual care put into the. Yeah, I feel like you have to at this point. Like yeah. when when you when you're sending off finals, like you have to do a different master master for vinyl for at least uh, distortion points and, and things like that. Like it's pretty it's become pretty standard at least in in like you know the the genres that are know they're gonna print to to vinyl. You know like hardcore and 
punk, obviously, like, yeah, you know, like... Long-standing. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Even though vinyl had its peaks and valleys, in, in our world, with, with the hardcore music, it was, it was still being produced. It yep. was still 7 inches being produced. There was still a lot of 12 inches being produced. It never really went away. It just commercially it, it, it went away for for a while here. How, I, last year I did the uh, a seven inch with Madball, and uh, I when I got that that seven inch I was like yes I did a Madball seven inch yeah. like I was like just so like pumped about it you know because I've been collecting seven inches for over twenty five years yeah. you know what I mean of my life so it's it's you know to me it's it's really amazing to hear. Um, because for us, you know, our bands that we grew up with, independent bands, like it's it's just not sometimes in the cards to print everything on vinyl. It's just so expensive. Yeah, you don't have a label the, behind you. The problem. It's like when you when you know I get to this point where people are like, oh, we're gonna do vinyl. I'm like, yes, yes, because that means I get to hear and hold that element. Because sometimes you don't finish a record and it's like, oh, we're gonna do a digital release. Oh, you know, it just goes yeah. off into the ether. Like I never feel like it's complete. But like with this, I get to open a record and like look at it and go, yes, I. I did that record, you know, like, <laughs> fucking cool. Well, yeah, it's, it's like the ultimate uh, token of, of achievement is to, to get something that you you produced, especially for a band that you grew up with uh, listening to, and you, you get the, the big vinyl package. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, as a, as a longstanding music fan and a vinyl fan, it really is nothing better than that. Yeah. So with that, any um, closing words you want to... You want to say? You want to tell the listeners what you're going to be working on next? Or? Um, you know what? Like, really, what it comes down to is, I'm always working on every artist. I treat exactly the same, so it's like from bigger project to smaller project. Um, working on a few things right now. I don't know if I can talk about them, but <laughs> the basically you can talk about whatever you can. Talk you, about. you can look about. You can look up any of my work at thejerryfarley.com. It's pretty simple website. I kind of built. Just kind of has everything that's out and released that I worked on, and um, you know if you're interested in any of that, go right ahead. You know all my Instagram, my Facebook stuff, all that social media shit is the Jerry Farley. You can find me anywhere there, you know, and hit me up and tell me I did a great job or a shitty job, <laughs> and I, I, I am open to all criticisms. Um, and basically, I want to just kind of give thanks to you. Pete, for not only being an awesome friend all these years and okay. turning me on to many bands and styles of music, but um, for having me on, you know, the, your new podcast, I Am Vinyl, and I'm honored to sit down and talk about this record, and I'm really, really grateful and thank, thankful for, you know, Sick of It All allowing me to be a part of their music, and, you know, their manager Larry, Brooklyn Larry, and um, Two Madsen for, you know, working with me for my, you know my weird ways of explaining things and my ideas and and basically all the people who showed up for gang vocals when I sent them a text being like I need your voice on this and and um, Frankie Nasso for allowing me to have an amazing studio to make amazing records at which is Nova Studio in Staten Island check them out um, and basically like all the fans for just I've seen a lot of the feedback for all of not only the the lyric videos but for the actual album itself and it's people are like I saw a description yesterday is like they didn't just raise the bar they actually pull, pulled a flamethrower to it and <laughs> burned it down and that was like a review in, in like an article and I've seen like a lot of glowing reviews yeah, and it's a lot of positive it, reviews and it's, it's, it's above the, the beyond but like sick of it all another solid release it's like it really 
Like they're looking at kind of how I kind of have my own personal experiences with the songs. Like they have their own personal interpretations, and that that means that people are listening and it's it's speaking to them. And and I appreciate that from all the fans and the and you know the people who are interviewing the band and you know Fat Records and Century Media for uh, putting this this release out. So thank you to all those involved, and you know thank you for listening to the podcast and listening to us bullshit about this record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went well over an hour. and um... Oh, we went well over two hours, <laughs> yeah. definitely, yeah. Well, I mean, we were listening to the record, too. Oh, yeah, true, true. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, I, I, I just want to close and say, just definitely out of the last few Sick of It All records that you've personally worked on, and probably over their, their last ten years, this is album cover-wise and music-wise, song-wise, this one's probably the best one that they've they've done in this recent 10-year stretch of, nice. of of records that they've produced. Thank you, you know, just uh, for your long-standing friendship. And, you know, it, for, for me personally, Jerry, Jerry has been uh, an ear to listen to some of my bullshit, and uh, I, I really just appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, just as a friend, and uh, the fact that he took the time to, to come here and talk about this record for over, absolutely it makes over perfect two sense. hours from what i know i think it, the first time we met was outside of, of, of right. actual record store right well Factory. that's right yeah we never we didn't get into that how jerry and i actually met before we closed yeah like is. wearing like a life agony pin or shirt or something You're like right. hey, life agony huh? summer 94 <laughs> jerry was outside uh, my favorite record store probably of all time in this in this area of bay ridge brooklyn it was record factory and i met jerry he was just standing outside I don't know why you were just standing outside you were standing outside <laughs> the store question. and I walked out of the store with whatever I had just bought and I saw her and I said oh you like Life of Agony and just from there we struck up a friendship yeah. within within weeks and seeing each other at Lemoore yep so and, and actually too before I close I gotta, I gotta acknowledge that Jerry interviewed me back in 1996 for an old fanzine called State of Mind ah Freddie Jackson that's right so this is kind of uh, full circle. Uh, back in the day, he interviewed me while I was playing in a band called Step Aside, and uh... it's crazy. It's a crazy throwback. Is I interviewed Lou at that free Sick of It All Bronx show that they played at the skate park. The Malawi skate at, park show. Yeah, that's in the um the the when the smoke clears like photo book. That's right. And I think that's where. At that show, the, the, the joke of uh, crazy white boy shit came out because people were like, what's that show happening over there? And someone was like, I don't know, some crazy white boy shit. Like, I think that's <laughs> maybe where it came from. But that's like, great. I remember interviewing him for the zine. I remember being like, oh, like Lou's like answering my questions from my zine. Like, you know, for me, that was like, that was, that was enough right there, you know, because I was such a fan of the band. But um, it was amazing. They did this free outdoor show where people just threw ping pong balls. And <laughs> yeah. it was terrific, I've seen some of the footage. It's, it was it's, a terrific, it's, terrific show, you know. And, um, you know, it's, it's great. It's amazing how, like, if you're around, you know, music and, and vinyl and, and that, that kind of aspect of this underground, you know, music scene, it's like it all very much comes full circle and, like, and um, works out to being, like, beneficial. So, you know, you asking me to come over and do this, it's like a no-brainer, of course. Well, I thank you again, and um, we will hopefully we'll do it again soon. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the I Am Vinyl Podcast. <laughs> okay, Pookie. <laughs> <laughs> Spalding, get your foot off the boat. <laughs> and that is our discussion about Sick of It All's Wake the Sleeping Dragon with Jerry Farley, who I thank once again for being on the show. And I thank you all for tuning in here at cnjradio.com. I encourage you all to please check out our other shows, 
here at cnjradio.com, The Wrestling House Show, Rock Strikes 10, The Synaptic Empire, Talking Rock, and The Last Theater. So until next time, thank you so much for tuning in to the I Am Vinyl podcast, and we'll see you next time here at cnjradio.com. Queen Star. <laughs> and he's the reason why we got no Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> Here we go. It's time to lick it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stanley, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> testes, testes, one, two, three. Monroe. <laughs> okay. Jerry?